taken from their reading from Matthew 28, specifically these verses. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That word disciple, there's a lot of books in Christian bookstores teaching you how to be a disciple. How to live the disciple life of a Christian. And there's all these ideas around in pop American Christianity about what discipleship looks like. But the thing is, the question is, how much does it go with what Scripture says? People will be very quick to point out that disciple means follower. To be a disciple means to be a follower of Jesus. And there are some people that when they hear that, they say, well, it's one thing to be a Christian, but it's another thing to be a follower of Jesus. There's, there's thousands of millions of dollars worth of books sold on that idea. That you can be a Christian, but not be a disciple. And the reason is, it's because the idea is, well, you fought to be a disciple, you have to follow Jesus, which means you have to be, you know, you have to have live a certain way. You have to have a certain level of commitment to Christ. And that's what it's required according to these ideas to be a disciple. Well, if you read through the Gospels, how easy is it to stand up to Jesus' standards? How well do you match up? Just to give you a, just a thought, if you think you match up well, when summer comes, not now because it's iced over, but... When, weather, when weather's nice again, go try to walk across uh, Lake Okoboji. And if you're going to do that, let me get a camera and be in a boat so I can videotape the attempt. If it happens, that's a pretty awesome video. If not, it's blackmail. <laughs> so, but that, I mean, none of us can match up to what Christ demands. We cannot live up to a life like he, that he lived. And, but the thing is, but yet still people will insist that that is what discipleship is. But the Greek word that we translate as disciple is appropriately follower. But the problem is, is we don't realize how literal that word is. We think follower, oh, that's a figurative thing. In Greek culture, and Greek and Jewish culture, it was literal. It meant if you were a disciple of Jesus, that meant if Jesus walked left, you walked left. You were right behind him, literally following him. And the reason you would follow him is because that's how teachers worked at that time. 
If you had a great teacher, a great doctor, which by the way, we always think doctor is, you know, the, the medical person, but originally doctor actually just meant teacher. That's what a doctor literally means, teacher. And so that a, do, a great doctor, a great philosopher of Socrates, for instance, his followers, like Plato, would walk wherever he went, they'd be right behind him. The reason is because if you would ever say a word, you would hear it. Because you're right behind him. Another way of looking at the word disciple is to think of the word student or pupil. Think of that word discipline. There's a difference between punishing, punishing someone and disciplining someone. When you punish someone, you're just wanting to inflict pain for what they did. When you discipline, you want them to learn from it. I mean, think about this way. If whenever, when you're growing up and you disobeyed your parents, and your parents told, maybe they told you you couldn't have dinner, maybe they told you to sit in your room or stare at the, How many people got in trouble after church and had to sit in the corner? Okay, I had those a few times, don't worry. What is the point of doing Why do your parents make you do that? Are they doing it just to torture you? Possibly, but more likely... They're trying to tell you to behave when you're in church or do act differently than you did before. Discipline is meant to teach. The word disciples right in there. Medicine is a discipline. You know, that's a, it's a form of learning and teaching. Um, there's all um, engineering is a discipline. But if we're the disciples of Christ. To be a disciple is to be in his word. To know what be to be swimming in, to be wherever Christ is, to be in his presence, always hearing his word. I don't know if you noticed, but the hymns that we the first hymn, the hymn that we just sang, and the hymn that we're going to sing at the end are both hymns that are right are in the congregation at prayer this week. That was intentional. Because those are hymns that we can learn because hymns teach you about the faith. They teach you about the basics. The reason why we make, why we have our confirmation kids learn the catechism. The reason why we as adults are still supposed to be learning our catechism. You don't graduate from it. You should read Luther and his uh, preface to the large catechism. He even said he himself. If you think you know the catechism better than, if you know Luther's small catechism better than Martin Luther, which you don't because you did not put it together, he did, he even admits that he doesn't know all of it because his catechism is ultimately taken from the Bible. And you cannot, you cannot explore the depths of the catechism in this life. The point when you can stop reading the catechism and you should stop studying it is when you're in the presence of Christ. And I mean in eternity. And by the way, this past Sunday, Alice Broxius passed away. I met with the family this afternoon and I looked at her Bible 
That thing was falling to pieces because she used it so much. That was, that was definitely one lady that definitely practiced that idea of digging into the scriptures, digging into God's word. And yes, it reflected in my visits with her. Even in those moments when she was getting weak and frail, and she had a very, very tough last months, last years. God's word kept her strong, even in that moment. That's why we stick to God's word. That's why Luther talks about us learning the catechism, is because when the devil comes and attacks us, we can stand up against him. Because we've got the sword. We've got God's word. When we don't know it, we can't stand up. I mean, think about it. What happens if, you, if you're in the middle of a bat, in the middle of a war, what would you rather have? A machine gun or spit wads? If you went to Iraq, would you want, or Afghanistan or whatever, which one do you want, the machine gun or the spit wads? Anybody want spit wads? All you're going to do is annoy the person that's attacking you. That's about it. God's word is your weapon and your defense against all the things that happen in this world, whether it be when you're young or when you're old. There's never a point when the devil is not trying to attack you and when he is not trying to drag you down. Disciples of Christ, we are made disciples, and it began at what point in our lives? Right here. We, came, we were born dead, helpless, unable to do anything for ourselves until we were brought to the waters of baptism and we were given life. We were clothed in the righteousness of Christ and that was the minute when we became disciples. But it doesn't stop there. We keep learning. That's why when a child, a parent requests for a child to be baptized. Hopefully, I ask them, and hopefully they're being honest, in the cases I've had, is, are you going to keep raising this child in the church? Do you intend for them to learn the faith? If not, then we want to wait on the baptism until they are ready for that. The analogy that I thought up on this, and it's not a perfect analogy, as all analogies are, but Think of it this way. Let's say you found a steak, the most amazing steak in the history of the world. And I mean amazing, so amazing that this steak will last for like 80 years, will not go bad, and it's absolutely delicious. And you decide that you want to give it to a child that you know. But this child can't eat steak yet. He doesn't have the teeth yet. Now you two children, you're this child, but one thing you know about this child is that her, their parents are vegetarian. They're the people that say meat is murder. Would you give that steak to those, that kid? I mean, there's an outside chance they might learn to like it, or is it more likely, that the, but it's more likely the parents, before that child even gets a chance to like it, will cast it out and stomp on it and ridicule it. Same thing with baptism. We don't baptize somebody if we do, 
If we do not just rant, we, we don't just stand outside with a fire hose, hosing down people as they walk and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because for all we because the thing is, if there is no intent to stay in God's word to be instructed, then there is no discipleship. Because it's far more likely they're going to take that baptism. And yes, the baptism did its work, and it's still good. But they're going to look at it and they're going to throw it on the ground and stomp on it and spit on it and ridicule it. And they'll be absolutely infuriated that you force them to be baptized. You force them farther away. A disciple learns God's word. I think about, if you've been watching, I don't know if you've seen those Geico commercials. There's a recent one that they've been doing. Where, for instance, like it's during a golf, golf meet, and you know the big sea monster comes out of it, and the commentators are still whispering. Anybody seen this? Or eventually says, if you're a golf commentator, you whisper. That's what you do, even though there's chaos going on. If you want to save money on car insurance, you switch to Geico. Similarly, for Christians, if you are a Christian, you study God's Word. If you are a Christian... You take the Lord's Supper. If you are a Christian, you are in God's Word. You're finding every opportunity to do it. So in other words, the idea that you can be a disciple and a, not a Christian, or be a Christian not a disciple, is not accurate. If you are a Christian, you're a disciple of Christ. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're a Christian. Christians hear God's Word. They seek it out. They feast on it. Because it's the thing that God, it's not, you don't do it because it will save you. You do it because you have been saved. And you want to hear more and more of it. To learn more and more of God's word. And to be formed more and more like him. Because you know, that is why there is truth about becoming like him. That idea, there is truth to that. Why do you, why, if, you were, if you wanted to be a great basketball player, why did you listen to Michael Jordan and watch him play? Why did the great running backs watch Walter Payton or um, Jim Brown or Barry Sanders? Because they want to be like that. Why do we listen to Christ that we may become like him? There's that word in Ephesians. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate him by being in his word, being in his presence. That's what a disciple is. He begins at his word, and, he, and from his word, he forms us. That's kind of where we're going to be going for these three weeks of Advent. Kind of going into more detail what that what. It is to be a disciple. If we are disciples of Christ, and to be a Christian, do you know what Christian means? Little Christ. That you are the, a little Christ to the world. If we are his disciples, yes, we are going to be different as a consequence. We don't become a disciple because we did great things. We do, great, we do these things because we are a disciple. We cannot be satisfied with the world. 
We cannot be satisfied that our brothers and sisters in Christ are not in church. We should be begging, we should be poking and prodding and trying to then get them to come here until you get annoying. It's okay to, if you're getting annoyed. I mean, don't, I mean, there's a line, yes, but being a little bit, it's okay. Because that means they're listening. You never know when eventually, okay, I need to get them to stop bugging me and I'll just go. We cannot be content with people not receiving God's gifts. Because you look at the world, the devil is just getting attacking and getting stronger. Well, his attacks are increasing. The world is more and more against Christ. And the only way to stand is with God's word. So may we be pushing our brothers and sisters in Christ to hear his word, to learn it, to be the disciples that they were made in baptism. Because by God's word, he, we are carrying the light that shines in the darkness. A question was asked about at the end of the service last week at Zion. Why do I always shut off the light switch at the end of the service there? And the reason is because we don't have an acolyte. The very simple reason, we don't have an acolyte, and so since nobody could be putting out the candles, I just flip off the switch, and they all go out at one spot. But the reason why, typically, traditionally, the candles get extinguished while during the, at the end of the service and why they get lit at the beginning? They get lit at the beginning to remind you that the people of God are gathering together to receive God's gifts. The extinguishing, and the reason why we go in reverse order, that we extinguish them outward, is to remind you that the church is going out to carry out God's mission. Now as the light of the world is leaving the church, and he's leaving inside of your heart. To shine for the world to see. So the light, the light being turned off is reminding you, go out. Be the light to the world. That they may know of your Savior. To whom be all glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep you in the one true faith. The life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we sing hymn 934.